0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Salemi. Thank you for taking a few minutes with us today to, uh, to listen to another great story in MedTech. This one is, uh, is fascinating in that it's it's. I did an interview with Rodney Brenneman. He's the CEO of Rox Medical. Uh, Rodney and I hadn't talked in, in quite a while. I did a, an article about the company probably about five years ago. and uh, At the time, the company was uh, focused on COPD. But it has shifts since it shifted its focus uh, to hypertension, and this happens often in medtech. But uh, the 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 story of how it, it moved from one sector or one specialty to the next is one that I think is is something many CEOs can relate to, and I think Rodney brings a great personal element to the story and the process of, of making a significant shift like Rocks did. Uh, Rocks raised uh, recently forty million dollars uh, from uh, from Great investors, including uh, Novartis Venture Fund and Appletree Partners. And uh, Versant Domain remained uh, investors in the company as well. Uh, So it's had some success. Rodney has uh, some honest assessments of the fundraising climate uh, that we'll get into. Uh, It's never easy. I've never talked to a device CEO who said that was a piece of cake. But uh, I think Rodney, again, brings a, a personal element to the process of raising that money, and I hope you find his experience helpful. So without any t- taking any more of your time, I'd like to uh, bring you to this conversation with Rodney Brenneman. He is the CEO of Rocks Medical. Well, Rodney Brenneman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's nice to connect with you again. You and I talked, I think it, was, it, might, not, it might not have been the last time, but the last significant conversation we had was probably around... 2011 when i did an article about ROX medical um and at the time uh you were a copd, COPD company with sort of a, a hypertension on the back burner now you've raised a 40 million dollars and you're you're sort of uh, you've reversed things as many medical device companies do tell us a bit about what you're you're focusing on now your your, your hypertension focus and and how do you intend to uh, to alleviate that
1: Sure, sure. So, yes, uh, indeed, we started in uh, uh, looking at COPD. It's the same treatment, the same therapy uh, connecting an artery and a vein with a coupling device, a novel coupling device. But uh, it turns out it can be exploited to help uh, patients with uh, several different diseases, but most notably, as you said, COPD to start with, and then uh, hypertension. And, um, you know, the path we follow is really to go where of the biggest need was, and and where the companies who you know are are the you know, potentially the eventual home for Rock's Medical uh, seem to want to go uh, with the product offering. So, yeah, we turned into hypertension. Um, it's I, I like I like the indication. It's very clear to show benefit to patients. So um, you know our path right now, uh, the raise that you mentioned is really to fund a major pivotal U.S. study um, uh, to to. To get on the market in the U.S., we're already C marked in Europe. So we have uh, some very modest, limited commercialization going on there in a registry study. Um, really, kind of just trying to to treat really good patients and and preserve a great safety record, as as you know, is important
0: for um, for the FDA. Sure. Well, let, let's uh, start at the beginning. What, what what's the origin of ROX Medical's technology, and and uh, just help explain it. You, it's a coupler. It's a device that couples basically the vein and the the artery and, and helps sort of share blood in between. What's what's the source of the technology and how does it work?
1: Sure. So the technology was first conceived at Stanford uh, University in California. We licensed it. Um, they had found uh, through some experiments that if you take arterial oxygenated blood and move it over to the venous side. Um, you can help the lungs in a patient with with damaged c o p d uh mostly due to smoking disease, and they also thought that wow, this could be interesting in other ways, and basically what they pr- proved was that it doesn't have a harmful effect it doesn't drive pressures up on the right side of the heart and create other you know bigger disease states that you wouldn't want to create It's actually a pretty benign effect, and we know that too because it's it's used for dialysis. Um, creating fistulas for, for, for dialyzing blood and whatnot. So we we know there's a massive body of, body of evidence saying this is a safe thing to do. Where you do it in the body is is interesting and, and critical, and what ROX has done is created a little stent-like coupling device uh, that joins an artery and a vein together in an extremely stable way. It doesn't require a surgeon to sew, sew vessels together. We do a normal femoral access procedure in the in the upper leg, uh, go up just above the head of the femur, cross over and place a little coupling device uh probably best best seen if you visit the website or whatever, but it basically creates a small hole or window, anastomosis between the iliac artery and the iliac vein um, and that that's that procedure is basically the same for all these indications Tom and um, and it's it's just been extremely um, well received uh it's very consistent and produces uh, an immediate result in the hypertension patients and dropping blood pressure.
0: Now, and, and the website is rocksmedical.com, and, and Correct. the company is ROX, not ROCKS. What is, the, what is the origin of the name, anyway? Why ROX?
1: Well, when we started in COPD, it was sort of a, um, a maybe a play on you know reoxygenation. so we actually sort of stylized the O to be green, like oxygen and things, and <clears throat> we put a two in there like O two, but we we sort of dropped that now with the hypertension. But uh, you know, the other way to look at it c- with our stylized thing is, you know, there's sort of a, a swo- swoop that happens off the R and crosses through the O and into the X, and and that's kind of the crossing of vessels or whatever. So uh, nothing nothing too too clever and sophisticated, but that's just sort of the name that stuck in, in the early days. No,
0: I see it. I'm looking at the at the uh, website now, and now I get it. It, it tells your entire story. Uh, what was uh. What well, what was that process like? You're focusing on two interesting areas: COPD and hypertension, both areas that had great promise at one point. Both areas that obviously uh, found found their way to some some rocky shores. Um, what was the the process though like as a device company? It's not as I said, it's not an unusual uh, process of of shifting priority projects. But uh, when did you decide that? All right, maybe hypertension is the, is the 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 engine that we want we want to attach ourselves to, and what was that process like to to do that
1: yeah well um we had basically been been working hard on the c o p d indication and uh as i mentioned it it um you know it's it was not an easy area to kind of turn uh, attention away from but it it was it was a it was an untapped area that was difficult to get uh large uh companies who would be acquirers of rocks to really uh, get their heads around how how they would take on um, pulmonology from a sort of interventional cardiology standpoint, and those relationships didn't didn't really exist in things. So it was it was hard to kind of get people to see that vision. And when hypertension came along, and we we were able to look at our own data that we already had in the smoking population and see that there was an effect there, and that there was sort of an intuitively obvious um, uh, physiology behind this. You know, you take a pressurized arterial system and you tap off. Fifteen twenty percent of the cardiac output into the venous system, which we know you could do safely. Um, it, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer that you're going to lose pressure, and uh, and 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 we saw that in our data. And as soon as we went out and did some pilot studies, um, sort of proved this to our board and investors, because this could work. I mean, the um, the effect was was immediate. It was tangible. Interventionalists knew right away that they had done something meaningful. They could document it. You know, it, it, it was great, and um, and you know, it wasn't easy but uh it wasn't um as difficult as it might have been to get the company and, and its investors to sort of pivot into the hypertension play. And we were able to we were able to with a, a pretty modest amount of money, um it, the the hardest thing honestly Tom was stri- streamlining the company down. You know, we had to go from twenty five people down to five full time employees and a, another five or six consultants and uh, and and that and, you know uh, all credit goes to the team here that you know suddenly you know you stripped out a lot of upper management um you know it was myself and and a small clinical team and you know you know person out in the field in europe and and we were able to get it done uh we brought on board uh, paul Sabodka from who was the chief medical officer over to r d n and was working a bit at Medtronic and done some time at at uh, even at f d a and things and um he came on board, and that was a huge ad because uh, he really knew the hypertension community, and he validated our physiology. And, and that's you know, the ability to start, start telling you a unique story about how rocks approach hypertension has been uh, a huge part of the, the building process as well.
0: And, and what was the timing? Was this done uh, prior to Medtronic's difficulties with the Ardian trial, or was it after that?
1: Uh, before uh, so when 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 everything was kind of going gangbusters, and you know you saw everybody, all the big strategics getting into uh, the hypertension game um, was when we were making our pivot as well and um, we you know we learned off of uh, the early HTn um, uh, one and two trials as far as how they had done the protocols, what they were doing, and uh, we looked at what they were you know sort of the next level of of science that went into HTN3 so we kind of knew how to model our lancet randomized european trial uh, fortunately the way the, fortunately the way we did it and structured it um uh gave us a very uh repeatable result we picked hypertension centers of excellence we were very careful and keeping control of the patients and and how uh, they were managed throughout some of the things that ultimately we all know now you know went wrong in the H103 trial for Medtronic um, we were able to avoid those pitfalls uh, uh, in execution uh, most people I think would argue so so that that was uh, you know that was a lot of what we did that led to our success I would I would say was being able to you know conduct a pretty clean trial
0: How do you it's unfair, and, and as a member of the media, I'll, I'll take responsibility. But I think investors in strategic sort of do this too, in that the, an entire sector can be can be uh, painted negatively by by significantly disappointing news like the Ardian trial. How do you f- combat that as a CEO? I mean, it's not really fair. I mean, if if, if there's a trial or there's some difficulty, sure, you know that's one device, that's one approach. What we're doing is so, something completely different. Yet I have to, you know bend over backwards to convince you that this story is different than this company that has yep. an entirely different approach.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right, and we we sort of maybe saw it from a bit of a unique exp- uh, perspective as it was unfolding, because we were over in Europe, we were out of clinical sites, we were, you know, battling for attention, basically, and getting patients into our study while, you know, people were, uh, had, you know, running around with their hair on fire, you know, anxious to do renal innovation, and then, You know, as things started to unravel and when it sort of collapsed, if you will, um, we were painted with the same brush uh, in the sense that, you know, a lot of hypertension specialists in Europe stopped referring and and everything was, was, um, you know, pretty difficult to move ahead. However, you know, what we had as a benefit was our procedure, our therapy is so immediate, so undeniable. I mean, when you put the coupler in, and its size of the balloon is its last stage. And literally, you take that balloon down, and you're watching the arterial pressure line you have in. And in the course of five or six heartbeats, you watch the blood pressure drop by 20, 30, 40, 50 millimeters of mercury immediately. There's sort of no denying that you've done something something clearly different. And, And even hypertension specialists, you know, come into the lab or look at the patient the next day and say, you know, you know, my gosh, you did something! I mean, this is this is massive. i have seeing this kind of drop in this patient. I know the meds haven't changed. I know there's nothing else has gone on. And then you show them durability over time and say, yeah, this is the same at a year, it's the same at two years, three years. You know, that that helped us dig ourselves um, not out of the hole, but helped us you know escape some of being painted with the same brush. And indeed, we were able to keep enrollment going. Uh, we were able to keep our registry going, even when you know a lot of the de-innovation companies are probably struggling with that.
0: And I, I suppose the fact that it's the, the procedure is reversible, too, is, is something. Yep. I mean, you can, yeah, just, yeah. you can just take it out.
1: Exactly. exactly. Well, we don't necessarily take it out, but we cover it over. You cover it we over. The, yeah, we put a covered endograph, so a stent with a cortex covering over it. They're very commonly used. Uh, and, and that goes over on the arterial side and you just cover it, and uh, you can re- reverse it is the, the term for it. Uh, we don't really find the need to do that, but occasionally you'll find a patient that, you know, for whatever reason, um, usually, frankly, a little bit mentally unstable, whatever they decide, they just, you know, really don't want it anymore, and, and, and we have closed one off. Um, uh, and unfortunately, you know, it is what happens. That patient has a stroke within several months. I mean, so unfortunately as, as that is, um, when you reverse it and you see the blood pressure go back up, that's sort of from a scientific standpoint the ultimate validation that, the therapy was really effective. So,
0: oh wow, that that, that would be painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just just one more question about this: What over that time was there ever a doubt that 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 rocks was going to continue? That or did you were you at a point where you were able to keep your head healthily above water and you saw land? and I'm going to keep beating this rocky shore metaphor to death. And you were able to keep moving forward, or were there were there some moments where you're like, "Geez, we're going to get swamped by this."
1: Uh, well, there was certainly—I I wouldn't characterize it as—we always had our head above, above water and felt confident. I mean, there was there was there was a battle all along the way. Um, you know, I think it, it came down to a, a belief. Myself, uh, the team here, uh, you know, our people doing the procedure, even our core physicians in Europe who are doing these procedures. When you see that tangible and immediate of a result, and you say, "My gosh, you know, this is real." Um, that the procedures repeatable it doesn't matter if you're doing your first case or your twenty first case it's, it's the same you that that keeps you going and and you just you just know you you have to keep going'cause this is this is too good to let go of so i think I think it's it's more a it, there was a drive and a and a passion to to keep moving this forward, but it was certainly never easy and certainly never for sure i mean the fundraise was uh you know as difficult as fundraising gets these days, even with that great story.
0: Hey everybody! I just wanted to take a quick break to uh, remind you that uh, the Healthogy, the the producer of MedTech Talk and the MedTech Conference, uh, puts on many events in healthcare. Uh, the Ophthalmology Innovation Summits uh, we put on three of those a year. Obviously, the MedTech Conference as well, and our our most recent one or our soon our recent one is coming up: the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Uh, there's a lot going on in the digital healthcare space. This is not a gadget conference; it's a healthcare conference. So. If you're in medtech but have an eye toward digital health, uh, please uh, consider attending. Go to healthgy.com. It's spelled, the word health followed by the letters eg You'll find all the details about the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's happening on November 2nd in Boston and we'd love to see you there. So again, go to healthogy.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. And now back to this conversation with Rodney Brenneman. <laughs> Were you also receiving outside um, affirmation? Because as a as a medtech CEO, I'm sure every medtech CEO kind of you know falls in love with their technology and, and maybe sees things in the data that others might not see. But it sounds as if you got a lot of outside confirmation from clinicians and others who were who were tracking your data.
1: Yeah, I think the clinicians certainly you know were giving us positive feedback on it, um, and that that helped. I think the other things that we saw that really buoyed us uh, as a team where, um, as people were dissecting the what went wrong uh, with the Medtronic uh, trial, a lot of things got uncovered and I think it was very healthy for the space to have sort of an honest conversation about, you know, renal innervation, uh, 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 neurohormonal approaches aren't necessarily the answer for everybody. So let's look at the data really carefully and figure out, is there a subset of patients that maybe uh, renal denervation isn't suited for? And out of those conversations and that research came some some data that really helped us, um, which is that isolated systolic hypertension, as it's called, um, is not well treated by renal denervation. There's papers out of Felix mafoods and Michael Baum's group in Germany that have been several papers since then that that said you know what um there there is a phenotype here that's not not well well addressed and and that built exactly into our story that Rox is really about helping especially it will help everybody but it's especially suited uniquely suited for people who have stiffer vessels and who have what we call structural hypertension so that helped us a lot and then the sprint trial i think also helped a lot uh, if you're familiar with that it came out and basically said look there's a lot of patients that are that are still uncontrolled um lower blood pressures uh better for everybody there's serious side effects from medications and trying to get people down to what would be you know the most beneficial levels is going to be very difficult if not impossible with medications without serious side effects so i think that helped you know drive the device justification story in uh, in hypertension
0: did that reduce the the market or potential market size at all, or is that is the 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 type of patient who would benefit from this? does that still represent a large segment of the hypertension population?
1: Oh yeah, uh, if you mean the sprint trial, sprint actually expanded it in our minds. Uh, it, it basically said that you know remember there was this sort of attempt by the hypertension community to um, draw a, a line, saying you know if, if you're more elderly. Maybe a higher blood pressure is okay for you because we don 't want to over medicate you and you know give you uh, uh, fainting spells and things and it could result in falls and, and injuries so there was uh, a guidance that was written it it really wasn 't adopted as a guidance frankly they couldn 't get societies to endorse it uh cardiology you know among others uh, didn 't endorse it, so it never became part of the the uh, hypertension guidance in the U.S., but there was a sort of suggestion, and and Sprint came out and basically said, no, that's wrong. Um, Everybody benefits at all ages down to at least 120 millimeters of mercury systolic. So, you know, uh, there's clear benefit, and there's mortality benefit inside of three years. Um, So that, to me, really... um, I mean, there'll there'll be endless debate about this within the community, uh, hypertension community, but that really um, has helped justify why you need something else beyond medications to, to help patients get there.
0: So let's go over your, your clinical trial uh, portfolio. What Where are you at? How many have you done in Europe? How many have you done in the U.S.? And what is your uh, regulatory status in Europe? Sure.
1: So um, uh, let's say that bit two basic trials in Europe. And we, we call them, you know, RH is our acronym for it. So, RHO1 was our pilot study that I alluded to. Um, that, that Before that was this little subset that was in the COPD group, but we won't count that because it was sort of a mixed phenotype. But anyway, so RHO1 was a small pilot study. Those patients are out over three years now uh, and doing great, by the way. So, that was sort of durability and initial you know, um, confirmation. RHO2 was our Lancet study. So that was, you know, randomized European study, multi-center, um, roughly 100 patients, just under 100 patients total, one-to-one randomized. Uh, and that data we're still following. So those patients are now out to over two years. Um, there's a one-year update, you know, and, and that's sort of most of the cohorts out of the past two years. There's an update, a one-year update that we've just prepared the manuscript on, so that'll get presented here um, soon. Uh, and then there's a registry study we call r h o three and that 's the ongoing um, early commercialization if you will although it's you know it 's really directed towards treating patients that are very similar to our lancet r h o two population and and it's the the things we 've learned to kind of be used to in this this population there on Medications from three classes, including a diuretic, unless they're truly shown to be resistant or unable to take the medications um, and you know we like to see patients that are over one hundred and forty millimeters of mercury so they're sort of really hypertensive um, uh, beyond that you know not a lot of extra criteria in there, but it, uh, it it's it's an early commercialization step um, and uh, you know we are c e marked in Europe. So we technically can sell. Uh, Germany actually has reimbursement and things. So technically it is available on the market over there. Uh, In each country we're pursuing the appropriate pathways towards reimbursement. Uh, But we're working with sites right now because we want to keep our uh, sort of loyal uh, centers of excellence uh, going and treating patients, so we work with them. And we we frankly want to kind of control the experience. Right now it's important to protect our safety record, so we don't want to, we don't want to just wholesale, you know, launch this out there to try try to drive sale numbers. We we really want to protect this and not give FDA any uh, any reason to be uh concerned about it.
0: Yeah. So you you don't currently have anyone in Europe who's actively selling this, you're just more or less maintaining existing relationships? Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean we have our own person over in Europe and uh and we're looking very carefully at a few new sites and a couple new countries that have have uh um uh, you know, approached us and wanted to uh, wanted to bring the therapy into the country, but I'd say we're you know we're keeping a pretty small footprint in Europe, um, Germany being maybe the exception, uh, given the level of reimbursement there. That's sort of our model country, and uh, and we'll, we'll we'll probably end up with about six centers uh, active there, you know, by year end.
0: So, what about the U.S.? What's going on over in this side of the Atlantic?
1: So we have uh, a pivotal trial approved uh, it's not conditional any longer there's a couple couple aspects to it that we're still discussing with the agency uh, a couple things we want want to try to uh, uh, shift a little in the inclusion exclusion criteria but uh but it it is technically a a fully approved pivotal trial um, the design of the trial is um Analogous to what you've seen before in something like h t n three again in, in the sense of having patients that are you know uh uh sub- significantly hypertensive over one fifty in our case one fifty five systolic office blood pressure, so they're what we call you know class two uh hypertensives they're on three meds of different classes including a diuretic uh unlike h t n three though ours are um uh on doses they don't it, we don't try to uh prescribe know, uh, some optimal dose or anything um, in HTN-3, there was sort of this optimal dose that was uh, was pursued. We're, we're not trying to tell patients, physicians, you know, how much of a drug you should be taking just that they're on those prescriptions. And then we make uh, some pretty um, uh, concerted efforts to make sure patients are have been under care for some time, they're stable on their meds. We do several different measurements at the front end to really try to preserve the um you know the scientific integrity of what we're doing. You know, we don't want patients changing once they enter the trial or anything. I mean that's certainly something that's plagued in the past. So uh numbers of patients, it's an adaptive statistics or Bayesian type design. So that means that there's a first analysis that you um, uh, prescribe on the front end. Uh we think that'll be at two hundred and fifty patients. It's a one to one randomized trial so you know, at, at about 250 patients uh, in, you do an analysis, and if the predictive statistics say that you are going to be successful um, in meeting your endpoints, then you stop enrolling and you you run the trial out. Um, if if not for any reason, you you go to the next 50 patients and you do the analysis again. This way, the adaptive design works. Um, we think we'll probably be at about 20 to 25 centers in the U.S. Um, they'll all be you know top tier. Uh, certified hypertension uh, treatment centers, um, experienced physicians. Uh, we're not going to have near probably the number of centers that uh, Medtronic had, had uh, eventually used in their trial. Uh, and we frankly don't think we need to go nearly as as far into the patients as, as they do. But you know, we know we should have very sizable drops in blood pressure and and be able to meet our FCM point, which is at six months. It's ambulatory blood pressure at six months. Um, I think that's becoming more and more the sort of accepted standard in the U.S. for blood pressure monitoring. Uh, If you're familiar with the difference, office blood pressure is sort of taken in a single setting. Patient comes in, you know, we've probably heard of the the white coat effect that can happen for some patients, a bit of anxiety or whatever. So sometimes that can skew the readings, but, um, uh, office blood pressure has always been sort of the gold standard in the U S ambulatory has been the gold standard in Europe and, and now it's becoming more accepted here in ambulatory. You put a cuff on, it's a automated little, you know, box, um, uh, about, the, you know, about the size of a, a man's wallet, you know, strap on a strap that goes in your arm and it blows up, um, every 30 minutes during the daytime, once every hour at night, it measures the blood pressure. So you get a, a lot of data, um, yeah, you know, it's a bit more annoying for patients certainly, uh, but the amount of data you get in a real life situation setting of you know so your daily life is arguably far uh, uh, more reflective of your real blood pressure than a one time in an office a doctor's office visit. So uh, that that's the endpoint. Well, we'll both types of blood pressure monitoring, but uh, the ambulatory at six months is our endpoint for efficacy and safety at one year.
0: And, and what is the timeline on that look like when when might you have uh, your what what's your next sort of uh stage or or what are you hoping to achieve within a certain time
1: yeah well we're doing we're doing early visits to sites now so uh I, I anticipate our first enrollment will be early q1 next year so uh we're sort of in the final preparation stages like i say we have a few things to to finish ironing out with the agency and um you know, a lot of setup things to be done. Core labs, committees, a lot of a lot of work for a small company like ours. That uh, we're progressing well on it, and uh, uh, actually, I, we're, we're basically the patients and the docs are kind of ready and chomping at the bit. Uh, it's us getting everything finished off uh, and ready to go. But Q1 we'll start enrollment. Probably run out, you know, maybe t- 24 months for enrollment, um, 18 to 24. Just depends on the pace we're able to drive.
0: Great, and just the final topic: uh, the fundraising. You raised forty million dollars. You had Apple Tree and Novartis Venture Fund come in to lead, and your your previous investors, Versant and Domain, uh, returned. So that's always great when you have the 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 existing investors returning. Uh, What was that process like? Where were you? Sort of in? Did you have all the the trials approved when you went out to fundraising, or were there still some some questions that needed to be answered uh, when you started fundraising and what was the 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 process like? How long did it take
1: yeah uh so we I'm thrilled to have uh Novartis and appletree and uh, to join our Versant domain team um there are all people that I know uh over the years uh it'd be great to have board members that are that are so widely respected and and also our uh, our our business colleagues for many years. Uh, we, we basically had a conditional approval from FDA at the time we were doing our fundraise, Tom, so we weren't final approved, but we had we had quite a bit of the definition around the study uh, pegged, and, uh, you know, it was not surprising, you know, a lot of discussion around that and and where the risk points are and, and, and all that, but um, uh, we got final approval, you know, sort of at the tail end uh, when, when the deal was basically, you know, done for all practical purposes, and... Um, Let's see. Was there another question buried in there?
0: <laughs> it was a multi-tiered question. What was the uh, what was the process like? Oh, the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying, trying to forget I'm, it. I'm trying to I'm trying to <laughs> blank that out.
1: Uh, uh, you know, it's you hear about it, and it was everything that um, I was warned about, which is uh, fundraising is just very difficult these days. Um, venture funds um, those that are left uh, and, and doing investments uh, even late stage are very conservative so um, there were lots and lots of questions on on basically every front so this was um, not easy uh, to get people who you know understood and believed in the space didn't already have another investment if that was a you know prohibitive uh, feature for them uh, understood our approach uh, believed the the hypertension space was you know sort of not corrupted forever um and then could make you could make through all, all the diligence um and 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 diligence is is rigorous these days um into every aspect not just you know sort of ip being the you know the tough deep dive i mean it's regulatory it's reimbursement uh it's the clinical realm it's physiology it's doctors looking at it you know um you name it uh every aspect quality yeah, quality systems everything is uh, is looked at and um you know these many of these groups or some of the groups uh who have large teams these days uh, you know employ a, a team of of diligence folks and um you know they're trying to be really careful i think but as a result as a small company you're you're really hopping and you're uh using all your resources to try to keep up with uh you know not just setting up a data room. I mean, you're getting live requests for data cuts and access to uh, to your experts and whatnot. So it's uh, it's it's pretty grueling. But you come out of it and say, "Boy, we really we really got the full exam." So if we pass that, we must be in pretty good shape.
0: <laughs> well, I've I've covered a lot of financings over my time, and I've never heard anyone ever say that was easy. But it's <laughs> it sounds like this is uh, even more difficult than than what had been before. If you could. Uh, this is kind of one of those weird TV interview questions. But if you could travel back a year and tell your, yourself then prior to the fun, fundraising, make sure you take care of this or that, what would what would that be? What really kind of surprised you or, or caught you off guard?
1: I think the depth of diligence. So, um, I mean, we were, we were prepared for it, I guess, in the sense that, you know, uh, we had been sort of scrutinized along the way. So it wasn't that we weren't able to, uh, to offer the kind of uh, of answers they were looking for, but you almost can never have too many sort of experts, especially in the regulatory realm, um, you know, who can – because that really gets into opinions, right? I mean, you know, the agency wants one thing, and you have to try to find people to, to support your strategy or, or help you devise a strategy. So reducing regulatory risk is, you know, 70% of the game these days. Um you know we know we have awesome clinical efficacy and, and you know, and we know we have a very um, rational safety profile you know risk benefit, but getting through the agency and reducing the risk on that side is huge, so I guess there's one thing I'd tell myself is you know get yourself surrounded with even more regulatory advice um, and be ready for that
0: great well i'm I'm glad uh you figured it out and you managed to. Secure the financing and uh, and good luck with the with the clinical trials. Obviously, this is an important space for medtech. So I, I wish you all the best.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I think you're right on. It's uh, vitally important that somebody does uh, you know a good positive trial, and you know we think we're very equipped to step up and, and show great benefit and prove that devices can offer extremely helpful therapy to patients and doctors in
0: this space. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Rodney. Thank you, Tom. Well, that's a wrap. Rodney, it was great to reconnect with you. Uh, I, I love the Rock story. I liked it back then. I like the device. I think it's extremely clever. And uh, I wish you the best in, in hypertension. And again, thanks for sharing your story, not only about redirecting the company, but about raising the recent round of financing. Thanks also, of course, to our MedTech Talk listeners. We very much appreciate appreciate the time you take to uh to tune in if you uh if you have a few minutes and could uh provide some uh, rankings and some feedback on itunes it would help us out a lot so just go to itunes give us a uh, give us a few stars however, however good a job you feel we're doing and some comments would be extremely helpful as well and with that i'll let you go and uh, thank you for joining us on the medtech talk podcast